He's board chairperson of Gateway News, an online Christian news portal, writes regularly for the publication. He has a fortnightly column of Daily Dispatch, which I, I don't know if he's still doing that, bro, but he was doing that. But Pressing Matters has become a television show that is reaching people all over the world. And uh, I don't know if any of you have seen his Pressing Matters videos and runs the TV show twice a week. Maybe you can tell people a little bit about that, but won't you just welcome Africa with me that God is going to speak through him. Amen. Wow. Yeah, so sometimes when you get introduced in a place, you look around to think, what are they, t- who are they talking about? So I, I, I try to get used to that. Greetings in the name of Jesus. Amen. I get amazed myself with it. Like, they're not talking about me. They're talking about somebody else. And I realize they're actually talking about me. And every time that you sing about you're actually singing about me. And I'm like, this is amazing. Everybody's talking about me. Everybody sings about me. They bless me. They wish me well. It's amazing what privilege I have. It's a rare privilege. Africa unite, Africa rise. It's not about me. Every time they talk, I'm like, this is amazing. I'm so blessed. It's amazing. Jablan Africa, all these things. I'm like, whoa, go for it. <laughs> so I don't know why I was named like that. Um, my parents were not born again, but they named me like that. And uh, of course, I think they were having a lot of the political posture of the time, but I could see the relevance of it. My surname is Mshlop, which means white. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm closer, so Africa Mshlop. So it's white Africa. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's politically correct, but that's, that's what it is. <laughs> I'm a unifier. You see, I take both worlds and bring them together. I, I hate division, so I've, I've got everything in me, the, the white and the black side. So I, I felt when I was coming here that um, the, there's something about expansion um, that is relevant for this house, and, and not only for this church, but for also for you as individuals. I, I felt that the, the degree to which you have a st- imagination, the degree to which God will be able to work with you. I, I felt that you only you can limit what God wants to do, and nothing can limit. And I felt there's a season where God wants you to liberate him to do what he wants to do, and your mind is key to that. And so you start, start imagining things. Start thinking broadly and greater than you have thought before, because that releases God to work in your life. So so don't limit God. Amen? That's That's what I felt. So... So if you want to watch a television program, um, it's on DSTV, channel 3421. It's called Faith Broadcast Network. You know, there's, there's, there's TVN, Trinidad, but it's also Faith Broadcast. So we're on Faith Broadcast Network. It's Tuesday at half past 5 p.m. Uh, every week, and they repeat on Saturday at 12. So I'm, I'm on twice. The program is called Pressing Matters. Um, it deals with, 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 the tagline is dealing with contemporary and contentious issues from a biblical perspective. So I deal with anything, racism, corruption, patriarchy, anything. There's no taboo subject. So the students, it's a discussion program. So the, the students ask anything, and we try and deal with those issues live on TV. So this is a wonderful program. So you've got to watch it. I put myself in that kind of situation. Um, so I was here at Verts a couple of 
weeks, months ago, and dealing with the subject black pain, white guilt, and issues of identity. There's a video available on YouTube as well. And so they didn't tell me when I was there that they would invite all the students, including EFF members. <laughs> so I walked into the service ready to, to, to speak to the converted, to the, and, and, you know, preach to the choir. And I realized when I come in, the red berets, and I'm like, whoa. And I got a bit late because you are in Johannesburg here in Gauteng, so the traffic is crazy, and I'm not used to it. Um, so, and I, we got stuck and I got late. So, by the time I walked into the service, I had discussion about land. <laughs> so, my session had already started about us land. And I'm like, whoa. There was a missionary from America who had come to buy books from me. So, I said, let's meet at first, attend my session. So, he's there on a white person to come and buy books. So, the people are seeing a white person. And so, it becomes a target, shame. And I thought, <laughs> But I thought to myself, if you're a missionary in South Africa, what are the better way to start yeah, yeah, yeah. to know what you are coming into than to come in my session adverts with EIF members? Welcome to the mission field, I thought, <laughs> to this white guy. So it was an interesting session we had. And I realized that Christians avoid engaging non-believers in contentious issues. And we don't know what to say. And we run away and we make a church a hiding place from the world when it's supposed to be a, church, a place to equip us to engage the world. So that's what the church is. The church is a place to equip, to strengthen us, to face the world, not to run from the world. So um, not that to say I've done, done well with them. They, they went after me quite strongly, uh, you know, criticizing our, our faith as being pacifist and defeatist and escapist. But I was glad to engage them because our faith has all the answers. We just need to find them. Right? Let's go to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. That will be my text for this morning. And it's a scripture which most of us know, where Moses writes, this guy called Moses is given revelation back into the past as to what God did during creation. So he brings us the creation narrative. He tells us what God did. He says, God speaks through Moses, let us make man our image and our likeness, and let him have dominion of the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So in this couple of verses, we see something during the age of innocence, the age before sin interfered in the lives of human beings. And we see what God had in mind for humanity before anything else could interfere with what God had in mind. Now, you must understand that the plans of God may be delayed but not denied. Nothing can stand before the plans of God. God is sovereign. Nothing can stand. So, so the, the delays in the plans of God are not equal to denials. Nothing can deny God because he's sovereign. What he intended to happen will happen. The issue might be time, but it will happen. Like, for instance, every knee will bow. Not every knee. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But knees will bow. So it's good for those knees that bow now by choice to learn and to do that. Then those knees will be forced to bow anyway. You know, so, so we, 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 we're practicing what we, you know, so we get into the trial run. So we, we're bowing now so we don't get surprised by the idea of bowing before God. So God says, let's make man our image. And in the Bible, there's something called the law of first mention. So God talks about this product he creates as a man. A product is defined by the one who makes it, not by the one who discovers it. The one who makes something defines what he's making. So God says, let us make man in our image. 
Now, interestingly, you would notice he never says, let's make a black man and a white man. He says, let's make a man in our image. So you see that the descriptors that describe a person during using his skin color do not come from their social political terms. They are man-made terms to serve a political purpose. That's why they carry no spiritual power and authority because they do not come from God. They may be socially relevant, but spiritually irrelevant. They have no mileage. You gain nothing with your posture of your skin. There's no demon that will be moved by you posturing your skin color. There's no progress spiritually. There's nothing you can do with the posture of your skin color because it has no value in the spiritual economy. It might have value on earth, but there's no value in the spiritual. Where the real battle is, because the rest are not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers and rulers in heavenly places. So let's make man our image. And he gives this man dominions over three spheres, the hydrosphere where the fishes are, the atmosphere where the birds are, and the biosphere where the creeping things are. So man is given dominion over all these spheres, and nothing of these spheres is, is supposed to dominate man. He's supposed to rule, not be ruled. So nothing created has to rule over the man. He's created last because he's the prince of creation. He rules over what God has made. He, so that's the important thing. He's only ruled by God and he rules everything God has made. Such that David says, I look at the sun, the moon, everything you have made. And then he says, man, and then he exclaims, what is man? That you are so mindful of him, your mind is full of him, that you have crowned him with glory and honor, you have put all things under his feet, and there's nothing that has not been subject to man. He says, you have crowned him with glory and honor. Glory and honor are the signatures of divine excellence. So every human being is crowned with glory and honor. The very glory means the essence of what a thing is, what a thing really is. When you see the glory of a thing, that's when your eyes are open. That's why in Zulu, when you greet a person, says, you mean I see you. When you undermine a person, it's not the person's issue. It's that you are blinded to see the person for who they really is. So it's not the person who needs to be more visible. It is you who needs to have your eyes opened to see that this person is made in God's image. So nobody has to rise up to anybody's standard. We are what we are. The other person has to see us for what we are. Instead of us trying to fit into their blindness. It's not our problem that they are blind. They must just have their eyes opened. So, so that she can see that, Selborne, I can see you. So the glory is seeing the person for who he is. The essence of what a thing is. That's why we don't really give God glory. We acknowledge God's glory. That's why we really don't glorify God. We simply make him great in our hearts. We cannot make God greater than what he is. We simply acknowledge his greatness. And as we do so, that the, the sense of his greatness increases in our hearts. He never increases. It's just our sense of him increases. We become more aware of him than we were before. So we're doing, when we worship, we're doing ourselves a favor, not God a favor. God doesn't need our worship. We need to worship him. Because then we begin to see him more and more. So he, he, he does this. So now, again, I want to emphasize, because when you look at the book of Genesis, you, you realize that something good was made here. Because after all, he keeps saying it is good. Then when he finishes, he looked at everything he made, he saw that it was good. So there's nothing bad here. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, nothing is bad, everything is good. And Genesis 3, something begins to take place. 
that deals with the temptation to move away from God, and the temptation revolves around the issue of image. If you shall eat of this tree, you shall be like God. Talking to a person who already was like God, but did not recognize what she already had, and then when she pursued it, she lost what she had, because she never saw she had it. So the enemy used image to draw Eve out of what she had. If you eat of this tree, you shall be like God. She bought into this thing that you can improve perfection. She bought into the idea that you can make better what God has made best. And when she tried that, she lost what she had. And she ate of this tree. And when God looked at them and looked for them, and they said, we hid from you because we saw that we are naked. And God did not confirm or deny the supposed negatives. He simply asked them a question, who told you you are naked? Who is the source of your information? Where do you get this idea from? Who told you are naked? And now God asks questions not to look for answers, but to look for you to ponder on what you just said. He's challenging you to consider where you are at in relation to his knowledge. He doesn't look for knowledge from you. He looks for you to ponder, to think, to pause, to sell on this too. It's a rhetorical question. It's not looking for information. It's not blind to the fact that you are hiding behind a tree. He's trying to check you do what, what makes you hide behind a tree. When I've not created you hide, I've created you to be standing out and be standing before me and not worry and not, and, not, and not be afraid of my presence. Why do you now hide? We hid from you because we saw that you were naked. Who told you you are naked? The same question can be asked of you. Who told you you are black? Who told you you are white? Who's the source of that information? Who is the source of your way of life? What validates you? Who validates you? What makes you feel good about yourself? If it's not God, let God be true and every man a liar. Whatever validates you, if it is not God, then it's a lie. You're living a lie. You are strengthened, validated, sustained by a lie. You are kept alive by a lie. And a lie won't last. It won't last. It'll be exposed. Only one person who can sustain and keep you is the one who made you. So what he says is more important than what everybody else says. All the knowledge of all people are nothing compared to the knowledge of God. All of us combined are not saying anything that is worthy of substance before God. It's only what God says that matters. And so when we have... Now, when you look at the book of Genesis, so when, the, the further we now read Genesis 3, 4, 5, 6, and you go, the further the chapters begin to increase, the further man begins to move away from God. Yes. So from Genesis 3 onwards, you're looking at a regression. Yes. Everything is falling down. Cain and Abel, Tower of Babel, Noah, Lamech, this, it's going down and down until God says, man is full of evil upon the earth, and I regret that I've created man upon the earth, and I'll come and destroy what I've created. When that comes, that says, when it comes to the rain, to the flood of Noah, you're talking about a regression, a state of falling and deprivation of human beings that, that made God regret creating humanity on earth. So the time that languages are divided in the Tower of Babel, so languages are divided, people are divided, and the next thing, ways of life are created because people now begin to form different um, formations of tribes and, and, nation, and ethnic, ethnic groups. 
And that's where cultures begin to begin to be formed. So culture is a way of life, people say to us, but I often ask the way of life according to the social construct. It's based on the social environment people come from. So it's not based on God. There's no culture of, of yours in heaven. Culture is a social construct. It's, 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 made, it's made on earth, not made in heaven. That's why when you go to heaven, your culture doesn't exist. Because it was not made from heaven. It's made on earth. So it's a social construct. Now, so South Africa is struggling because we prioritize, we major on minors and minor on majors. So we put up what is insignificant. So here's the, so we have these cultural systems which we have learned. Culture is a learned behavior. It's behavior, not biologic. It's, gene, it's generational, not genetic. It's nature, not nature. It's something you have acquired. It's a social construct. It's a, it's a social necessity, but not a spiritual necessity. You don't need culture for spiritual survival. You only need it for social interaction. To survive spiritually, you don't need culture. To survive biologically, you don't need culture. To eat food, you need what is called RDA, recommended daily allowance. <laughs> what you eat, the nutrients. There's nothing about culture there. Everybody needs vitamin D, vitamin C. There's no vitamin D for black people, white people. It's just what it is. The point is what it is. So you look at your body, the body doesn't know culture. Come on, bro. If there's no vitamin C, you're going to suffer. Come on. It's not about white people or black people. It's just the reality of biology. That is why, I hope you know this, uh, that the lungs, my lungs and his lungs are in the same place. White people's lungs are not somewhere else and my lungs are somewhere else. His pancreas and my pancreas is the same place. That's why we can have organ transfusion, transplant, because they work the same thing. So everything that divides us is on the outside. And that we make it take authority and preeminence of what is eternal. We make the flitting. You know, the Bible in the book of Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came. And Peter says, they said they were drunk. Peter says, this man is not drunk, I suppose. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So this experience that they had was that, what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So in other words, they had an experience that needed to be defined with an eternal, eternal timeline. So the prophetic timeline had to define the immediate experience. So you have an immediate experience which you are using to define the eternal sure. instead of using the eternal to define the immediate. Come on, bro. That's good. That's good. So you can't allow the, the immediate to define the eternal. It's the eternal that must define the immediate. So for me, it's, it's, it's God. You, you, you had me born in Africa. And you had me born with a skin color like this. Now, help me to understand what does this immediate mean in the eternal? Why was I born in this continent at this time as this? What, how does it connect to your eternal perspective? How does my existence here fit into your eternal plan? I cannot allow this immediate to define the eternal. So nobody who speaks in the immediate should move my mind from the eternal. Nobody who's from the earth, nobody who's from this environment should change my perspective eternally. Because I will be judged by the eternal, not by the immediate. I will stand before an eternal God to answer how I fitted my life in the eternal perspective. So that's why those who are unregenerated, who don't know Christ, cannot have authority over my values. 
They cannot tell me how to behave. They cannot tell me who to love, who not to love. They don't know anything about love. So I told them at first. I said to them, you are selling me a doctrine of hatred. Tell me where in the world has it ever worked? I said, I said to them, I've tasted love. I've tasted, I've tasted hatred. Love tastes better. I said, what? I said, so how do you love? I said, it's easy. I choose to love people. I choose to love white people. I said, I don't agree with them and everything. But I love them. They're strange people. They do strange things. They drink coffee all the time. But I love them. That's how it is. <laughs> so in the Bible, we, we see that God, so, so Jesus comes in, 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 and Paul tells us by revelation that Jesus is the last Adam. So, so why did Paul refer to Jesus as the last Adam unless Jesus is connected to the first Adam? You wouldn't refer to Jesus as the last Adam unless there must be a direct line between the first and the last. So there is a direct line between the first Adam and the last Adam. And we can't allow what's in between to define what the last Adam is about. So there are things that happen in between. So, so we, he says a few things we see that, that the first Adam was tempted by what he ate. The last Adam had to overcome by what he does not eat. Men do not live by bread alone, but by every word proceeded out of the mouth of God. So he had to show what the last Adam, first Adam failed in. The last Adam conquered in every stage. Tempted at every point, but without sin. So the first Adam fell because he ate from a tree. The last Adam won because he was hung on a tree. The first Adam had to sleep and have a wife coming out of his side. The last Adam had to have a wife coming out when he's pierced from his side and the church was born. So he's showing us that this is what I'm, I'm, I'm reconstructing what the first Adam failed in. I'm showing you in every step in which he failed that this can, you can conquer in that stage. That's what he did. If you look at it, everything that happened in the first Adam, Jesus showed victory over those issues. He showed power over that. To show that we can overcome. The environment we live in doesn't dominate us, we dominate it. When the devil gave him the kingdom of this world to tempt him, he says, you shall not worship anything else except the Lord. He showed that I have authority over the material possessions, the material environment. I cannot bow to material things. They must bow to me, he showed them. So everything that the first Adam could not control, Christ controlled it. And then, and then he gave birth to the church, which is defined by Jesus, not by the first Adam. We learn from Moses, we learn from Elijah, but we follow Jesus. We are disciples of Jesus, not disciples of Moses, of Elijah. Of, a, of David. We learn from these people, but we follow Jesus. Let me put it this way. Everything in the Bible is correctly recorded. Not everything is the correct thing to do. So, so David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Correctly recorded. Not the correct thing to do. Solomon had 700 wives. Correctly recorded. Definitely not the correct thing to do. Highly, we, we, we highly don't recommend that. Me and Andrew, we, we, we strongly don't recommend you having 700 wives. One wife is enough. If you don't manage that one, you have a headache. 700. I mean, I, I tried to calculate this thing. I thought to myself, it's 365 days in a year. You've got 700 wives. I thought, it's probably seeing one wife in two years, practically. 
So if I see you in February, I'll see you next year. Your, your appointment is next year, February. <laughs> your appointment is next year. Imagine that. This is your husband. I mean, imagine the children. He's either working. Is that one mine also? What's his name? <laughs> who's this young? Who's this chap? He's also mine. <laughs> yes, he's your child. He, just, he, can't, he can't keep up. I mean, how do you keep up with the names of your wives? And alone their children. How do you know who this one is? You can have women just walking around. Is that, is that one my wife or is it just... Yes, this is one of your wives. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. <laughs> it's madness. And then 300 concubines. What kind of that? If, we do, if, you want know, if you want to know somebody who's full of lust in the Bible, two characters, characters that overcome completely by lust. One of them is the wisest king that ever lived. One of them is the strongest man that ever lived. But they couldn't conquer lust, both of them. The wisest ever lived, Solomon, strongest that ever lived, Samson. Both overcome by lust. Totally controlled by lust. Physical strength, wisdom, lust, took them out. Both guys. That tells you. Uh, guys, you're not married. That tells you. You can have all the, all the wisdom, all the theology, all the doctrine, but watch for women. Watch women. You must be careful. Uh, you must behave. Keep your distance. Have all distance. Delilah is lurking around somewhere. Uh, be careful. Samson, if you really love me, you will show me where your strength. You see, now you are playing games with me. You said you will tell me, but now you're not telling me. If you really love me, where is your strength? And he fell and she spoke. Eh? There's a certain way, a certain tone. Guy fell apart. Uh, the strength uh, is in my hair. <laughs> Gone! <laughs> Be careful. So, so culture, I define culture as nothing else but you and I being governed by dead people. Yes. Culture is you being ruled by dead people. Because you don't start culture, you only follow culture. Culture is started by a few but followed by many. Whoever starts your culture rules over your life. <laughs> so culture is all of us being ruled from the grave. That's what culture is. <laughs> we are being ruled by dead people. They started culture from wherever they were, from wherever they were doing, whatever they believed. And we are simply prisoners of their beliefs. You don't even ask why. What was happening? We just simply follow. Like dogs on a leech. Left, left, right, right. Stand, sit, sit. We don't know what. I mean, I come from a funeral one day and I asked the people in my community, I asked them, I, I, I normally ask questions. People get provoked and offended. I ask questions. Why do you wash hands when you come from the funeral? Oh, don't ask us. No, I'm just asking. Because it's not about hygiene. If it's about hygiene, every tap will be available. The sanitizer in my car with my wife will be available. Why do we have to go to one bucket, one towel? That's not hygiene. That's not taking our gems. That's going to pick up. That's going to care. That you're going to go and take gems there. You're not washing our gems. You're going to go and fetch gems. That's what I believe. So I asked. So one day, we're in this funeral, and, and these people, the person who died committed suicide, and, and his body had decomposed uh, so they couldn't bring the house, so they had to carry the body from mutual straight to the cemetery. So we're in the funeral, there's no body. The, the corpse is not here, it's straight in the cemetery, waiting for us. There. Now, so you think that there will be changes in how the ceremony is done. Nothing changed. The priest still, still let the, well, suppose, the priest still walk, 
you know, I'm the way, I'm like, whoa, as if there is a box behind them. They still have a procession. And people have to walk slowly, respect you. Oh, what? There's no box here. But people still have to follow that. And I'm like, wait, there's no box here. But they still do. And then the people had to go and watch. So guys had to take a taxi back home because they couldn't go to the cemetery. They, they ran out of time. So, and I saw them coming out of the taxi. They were already climbing the taxi. They remembered something. Oh, oh, oh. they go and wash their hands. In the same house. They didn't go to the cemetery. We were still climbing out of the house to the taxi. And then they remember, oh, washing hands. They wash hands. And I said, nah, I want to ask. I said, whoa, putting uh, why? Now, I realized when they come from the cemetery, they talk about washing hands from the dust of the cemetery. They make that excuse, which is not true, because not everyone puts a shovel and works on, on the thing. Only a few men do that. The rest of the people don't. So they're not even washing dust. But this time, I thought, let me ask. Putin, why are you washing hands? And he says to me, I don't really know. Yes, I'm just. <laughs> and then he, he led the whole two Texas fooled on a procession. They followed him. They're washing hands. Then I'm asking the leader. He says, hey, uh, I don't know. I thought, this is the whole point, isn't it? People don't even ask. They simply do things because other people do them. We are supposed to stand out, not fit in. We are trendsetters, not trend followers. But just in summary, about the dominant cultural systems, the ones that are always, the bulls, in South Africa there are two bulls that are always fighting, and the grass suffers. <laughs> the grass is other races, so colored people, Indian people. But the dominant bulls are white and black. The grass then will suffer. So these two bulls, one that the Western culture, the individual defines society. African culture, society defines the individual. So they come from two different ends. So on that scope alone, um, conflict is inevitable. Because these two cultures prioritize different things. One is individualistic, materialistic, one is communal. So they come from two different ends. So there's a level of where conflict is inevitable between those cultural systems. So to manage this conflict and come out stronger and more unified is that now, whenever I talk to, sometimes I go to churches where I'm the only black person. This is, yeah, that's me, I, 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 I go. I go, yeah, I go. The God says go, I go. I go there and just go and bring color. And I'm the only black person. Now, I hear people talking about unity. Let's have unity. Fine. I ask on whose terms? How? Because everybody's in a box. So do we have unity by coming into your box? Or do we have unity by all jumping out of our boxes and meeting at the foot of the cross as equals? Who determines these appetites or parameters of unity? Who do we lean towards to make an acceptable church? Because many churches, I'm, I've preached in many multiracial churches in South Africa, many multiracial, not multicultural. They're not the same thing. Multiracialism is like sitting in a bus to, next to each other. We're not knowing each other, but we're just sitting, we happen to sit in the same bus. But there's no relationship between the commuters. That's multiracialism. Multiculturalism is different. It's when we're going to the same destination in the bus and we share the trip together and we share everything in the bus. That's multiculturalism. So many multi multiracial churches in South Africa, they practice a, a form of cultural fascism. They might be mixed in their chairs, but check leadership. 
Check who gives theology and doctrine and teaching. Who qualifies to speak other people? Right? And, uh, and of course, we haven't helped it as well. Because uh, for some of us, we still prefer that. Because we have inherent inferiority. We still believe if it's multiracial, it must be led by a white person. Now, at every nation, such as wherever I've traveled, in Cape Town and here in Rosebank, I've realized that we're not following that same trend because where leadership is merit and authentic and has, person has it, is given the space to exercise their gift. Right? I know this uh, with Rosebank and in many other, or every nation, such as I have been. But it's not like that everywhere else. Everywhere else, you have to prove yourself as a person of color that you actually know the Bible. It's like, I, oh no, I actually, I, no, no, actually, I read the Bible also. Like, uh, I, I did go to Bible school. I know a little bit of verse. I, I know some scriptures. I know I don't look like it, but I, I do know the Bible. <laughs> I know where Matthew is. And look, I've once read the book of John. It's hard work. I mean, I preached with mighty men. That's about 20,000 men. Huge, huge meetings. So I preached to people who look at you and think you're a token preacher. They think you're a BE. They stand there and they are made, they are shocked, they're like this affirmative action. I'm like, and I stand, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, this is amazing. So I have to prove myself I'm not affirmative action. <laughs> it's, it's hard work, isn't it? I have to prove myself I'm, I'm not, it's not, it's not BE, I'm actually, I'm here on merit. <laughs> and, and guys get amazed, they come out of there like, wow. We have never thought there's such black... I said, oh, well, there's more like me. In fact, there's, there's even more gifted than me. It's just that... I asked them, do you know joy celebration? No, I said, yeah, that's the problem. You know, one of the, one of the most popular groups in South Africa is joy celebration, eh? Now, we know all your hill songs and Bethel. You don't know joy celebration. That's your problem. You know, expand your knowledge. And, and so it, it takes a lot of work. And then, of course, on the flip side... And then I go to black communities where you realize that people are developing a bad theology, a black theology, an anger-based theology. Now, you can't make a God after your own kind. He makes you after his own kind. Don't box God. God is sympathetic to your social conditions, but is not bound by them. He once gave me a word when I was in Queenstown in an African church where, again, I was the only black person. In the second service, God spoke to me, and I'm closing this. He said to me, tell my people, those who are referred to as black people, not to repeat the mistakes of those who trusted in the color of their skin. The advantage is not in the skin, but in the spirit. Clearly, the voice of God I heard in the service. Tell my people, those, he doesn't refer you like that, but those referred to as black people, not to repeat the mistakes of those who trust in the color of their skin. That was many years ago. The advantage is not in the skin, but in the spirit. You will not make it in this nation if you think your skin is a key. Because even those who appeal to your skin color will dump you when it suits them. They will use you as a folder. Politicians are concerned with elections. True leaders are concerned with generations. 
Not what happens in the next five years, but what happens in the next 40 years. That's leadership. Politicians are concerned with a five-year tenor in their positions. Leaders are concerned with generations. So you are going to come into a place as this house, I sense, where you come into leadership. Not just politics will be a platform, but you're coming into leadership. Where you're coming to serve the generation in which we live. Like David served the generation well, and he died. You have to make a mark that cannot be erased, that transcends the political rhetoric in the nation, that transcends the voices that speaks, but you have to speak, it transcended, you have to speak beyond the popular statements and the rhetoric. You have to speak from heaven. You have to speak from the throne of God into the earth. You can't tell what, you can't tell, take what's in the earth and speak it in the heavens. You have to speak what's in the heavens into the earth. You can't change God by your language. That's why one of the things that God does when the Holy Spirit comes, it gives us a new language. Because we are divided by our earthly languages and we can't see God with our earthly languages. They're divisive. There's lots of things that we don't understand in terms of our idioms and structure of sentences and all kinds of things. And God therefore gives us a new language to speak from the Spirit, to speak from here into the environment. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. Because he knows. Once we take what he says and use our everything I say to you, even prophecy comes through a vessel and the vessel is tainted by experience, by growth, by environment. Even a prophetic word is never coming completely pure of the influence of the vessel speaking the word. So my prejudice, my experience taints even what God says. So my tongues are untainted. They're untainted. <laughs> It's direct heaven's communication into your spirit. Tongues, basically, is God speaking to you to speak to him for God, for God to bless you. God comes down, prompts you to pray, for you to speak to him, for him to bless you. You have nothing to do with it. He says, I want to bless you, but you don't have time, you don't have faith to pray about it. You lack knowledge. So what I'll do, I'll prompt you to pray. I will tell you what to say to me. You'll say it. Then when you say it, then I answer you. I just want, I'm so desperate to bless you. <laughs> like, you are delaying me you are not saying it you don't, I want to give it to you so guess what I will give it to you for you to say it so when you say it then I can do it but I can do nothing unless somebody says it unless somebody asks can we stand together so we're going to pray and as we pray my sense is that God is going to liberate us. Who can lead. You have to be so strong in the spirit that if you go to <laughs> any racial group, the gospel must penetrate. You must not have styles, forms, wearing anything except you must only wear the anointing. Don't wear your culture. Don't have favorite ways of worship. Worship anyone with anybody because the anointing transcends experience and culture. You must be so well in the anointing that you can go to any nation, any group of people, and fit in. Be all things to all men that you may win some. It doesn't matter how you look. They may be surprised by your gender, your class, your language, but the anointing works everywhere. The Holy Spirit is an international spirit. Is <laughs> an international spirit. Nobody can deny the true power of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what we should be. Amen. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for this wonderful time we have in your presence. For releasing priests, kings, prophets, rulers, nation builders, history makers in this service this morning. We receive your grace, your Holy Spirit, your power, your unction to function for your kingdom in this earth. We thank you for transcending, for changing our way of thinking and helping us to transcend, to go higher. Helping us to be transformed in our thinking. Help us to rule, not to be ruled. Help us to govern, not to be governed. Help us to bring the kingdom of God and to usher in, to be heralders, to be those who usher, to say thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your spirit. I want you just to receive as I'm praying. I feel the Lord's spirit, the Holy Spirit is just being poured out. Sending you out, out of the service. Ready to face the world. Ready to make an impact. Ready to engage the world. Ready to, to be the light of the earth. Of the world. To be the salt of the earth. Ready. Ready for the king. Ready to receive commands and commissioning. From the king of kings and lord of lords. Father, we thank you that we commission your people. This morning. Thank you that you are doing a great work. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Show Papa Sikia Kataka. Muda Rabako Suto Zebrata Nohanda Labo Shi Tehadalako Sibehada Abasi de la Ha Dofa Dia Hado Ase Muda Labakush Vemente Breha do So Rodolati Parasi Diha doko toshi dahade si do nahana denete 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 sonopote tizaha kotoshi retiaha 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 rosote diadati sido boha dahadu seleba goti tiho atushi baha seaha koshi. Ila hadesia hodasi. Monda labashiki. Jesus. Jesus. For even here the Lord says, a good seed has been planted in this movement. A good seed has been planted in this movement. And I will preserve it, God says. I will preserve a remnant in the midst of you. And indeed, they shall be a going forth to the nations of the earth. They shall be an action again that revives, refreshes, and renews my mandate upon you, declare the Spirit of God, to again love the nations of the earth and not to allow yourselves to be swayed in by temporary, flitting movements and experiences that are self-seeking, that are inward-looking. For God says, you shall recognize what it is that I'm doing in your midst, and know the thing that I've planted in your midst, declare the Spirit of God. And not look that way or this way or that way. And looking at what seems attractive. For that which you look at may be there now but gone tomorrow. And this which I'm doing here is here now and here tomorrow. For this is the planting of the Lord and it's marvelous. Therefore take hold of what I'm doing in your midst. It is a good seed planted on a good ground. 
Therefore, recognize this is a doing of my spirit, declared the Lord, to reach the nations of the earth, the mandate I've given to this house and the nations of and churches and, and my church on earth has always been never changing, constantly, continually. It's always been the same mandate. Go to the world and make disciples of all nations. That has never changed, declare the Spirit of God. They have changed to suit what is now attractional church. What is now seemingly is good, powerful, growing, whatever you call it, mega, whatever you are excited about in this season. Don't lose your faith and gain church. Don't lose your faith and gain experience. Don't lose your faith and gain movements. Gain my presence. Gain my power. Listen to my word. Obey my instruction, declare the Spirit of God. For many will not understand it, but you, all of you, will account. You will stand before my judgment seat. You will stand before my presence one by one. One by one. Not by movements. Not by churches. Not by denominations. But one by one. You shall account on that day. For they shall say, in that day. Heaven we preach. Heaven we done this in your name. The Lord says you be con. Pay attention. Be a person who pays attention. Redeem the times where the days are evil. This is a time to be attentive, declare the Spirit of God. To be the army of the Lord. Not to be just civilians, but to be an army sent out into the earth. For this is the work of the Lord I sense very strongly in this church. I sense very strongly in this movement. The Lord is not done with you yet. He is not done with you yet. Do not give up. Don't look around. Don't compare. Don't feel small, Gideon. Go there in your strength, you mighty man of valor. Do not look that way. Don't say I'm too small. Don't say I'm young. Don't say I can't speak. Don't say we don't have that kind of a sound or this sound or that sound. Do what God says you must do. New sound is coming out of this house. New songs are coming out of this house. New music is coming out of this house to serve this nation. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's not just about having a leg in the campus. It's about having an influence. It's not just about having a presence, but it's about having an influence. An influence, a voice, a voice on the campus, a voice, a voice, a strong voice, a powerful voice. It's not just about having the numbers, but it's about having the quality. It's about having the voice. A voice. A voice. Not just a sound, but a voice. For many when God spoke to Saul, had the sound, but only Saul had the voice. The voice. A voice. Lord, I pray for a voice. I pray for a voice for every nation. A voice again. A voice. Not just a sound, but a voice. Thank you for a voice. Thank you for a voice, Jesus. Mm. Hallelujah.
Don't you love that? <laughs> Seriously, friends, politicians may speak, but the church has the answers. Psychologists, psychiatrists, they can only diagnose. The church has the answers. And we need to be a prophetic witness. Why don't you just look around this church? Look at what God's done here. Seriously. This is just... And our heart is not that we have... You know, so we had a great dinner last night with, with Africa. We were just talking about, you know, you can sit together, but really getting to know each other is what God wants. And I keep encouraging you when it's coffee time, whatever it is, find someone of a different culture and build with them. But our goal is also to bring kingdom culture. I lay my culture down. God showed me how evil my culture was. <laughs> you know, there's a missiologist who talks about the fact in every culture there is something good. But in every culture, there are elements that are downright evil. <laughs> we don't worship culture. But the church has to be the witness. And I just feel this flows so strongly with what he was saying about love. But go into this week and say, God, open my eyes to see people as you see them. And... And if there's any way that I'm prejudging because of my upbringing or because of things, God, I lay that down. I want you to show me how to see those people. And watch how your environment changes when you start to see as he sees. Africa, that was so good, my bro. I just love the way you share and open things up. I think we can just give Africa another hand.